Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is April 10th, 2017, and this is episode 196. My name is Scott Magnus. And this is Jake English. And in this episode, we're going to go around the bases and try to make sense of a single week of baseball. And we'll dust off the 2017 high school yearbook and assign a few Orioles superlatives. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing yourself with today? Well, Scotty, I have dipped into a nice box of wine for the evening. I'm enjoying a Boda Box Malbec, which actually, you know what? Not terrible. Not terrible. 2015 vintage box right there. It's got all the right notes of cardboard and ink. And, well, basically, it's a large juice box for adults. Yes, that is what your wife tells me periodically. Jake, I have um, decided to waste away again in Margaritaville. But no, I'm not doing a margarita tonight. Unfortunately, I am doing a Landshark Lager, which is a style. It's an island-style lager. Jake, let me just tell you, this is the kind of swill that I would expect you to drink. But unfortunately, it was left in my fridge, and uh, room needed to be cleared. So I made this great sacrifice and have decided to drink it all the way down. I award you no points. Good day, sir. Every time I clear out my fridge of stuff that's been left at my house, yeah. I still get garbage for it. Here's so you live, sir, in the specter of my judgment. Here's the thing. At least I don't have Michelob Ultra in, in, my, in my fridge. I drink that by choice, and that is a problem, that and I a, acknowledge it. You realize that they're going to discontinue Michelob Ultra, right? Yeah. That means i got to drink it all that I can now. <laughs> if you're interested in what we are drinking, please follow us on Untapped. Get social with us. We would love to know what your drink of the week is. You can find me at JakeE4025. And you can find me at MAGN8606. And something, something's up with me today, and I can't figure out what it is. You know what I think it's time for? I think it's time for a checkup. I have to tell you, I was afraid that was going somewhere with you being tickled, and uh, I was not a fan. We'll do that later in the show, folks. Um, All right, so Jake, uh, you want to run through a few of the injuries uh, that have been plaguing the Orioles? Hey, knock on wood, so far, so good. We have Chris Tillman recovering from his shoulder injury. He'll pitch again sometime this calendar year. We'll find out how that's going. But hey, again... No setbacks. No setbacks, and they're still saying the first week of May time frame. But, Jake, how can you not be paranoid 
over the recent middle finger strain on the left hand of Joey Rickard. This has to be my favorite injury. They could have just said left hand strain. They could have said finger strain. But no, middle finger strain. Believe me, in traffic, I plenty of times have had a middle finger strain. Absolutely. But uh, he apparently got this sliding in the second base and was just at the right time to move for roster. Now, Buck assures us that the roster move would have been something else had this injury not cropped up. But here it was. It was too convenient. That's what happened. Do you what, buy that? Uh, so I, I, I kind of buy it. Um, so the Orioles needed a roster spot. Um, Jerry Ricker got injured. So I think we're going to call this the flipping a bird uh, move by the Baltimore Orioles this year. Wow. That was nicely done. <laughs> Uh, you got me. Yeah, blindsided. Yeah, blindsided. Do you think they would have sent uh, Mancini down if if it hadn't been for for Rickard's quote unquote injury? I don't think so. I have another person in mind that I think would have gotten sent down instead. But we'll get that to that later in the show. Ooh, Ooh. That, folks, is what we call a tease in the industry. Scotty, let's go ahead to this week on the Twitters and look at the Orioles in 140 characters or fewer. I'm going to start with a, a series of tweets. It's a it's a subtweet situation. Uh, Ryan Stickle, who tweets at rstickle24, said, please stop calling him Cap 10. Now, of course, you and I know this is near and dear to our heart. He continued with a subtweet or reply, whatever you want to do there. You goons made so much fun of Retupect for years. Years. But now you want to switch it up and do the same thing. Okay. All right. That almost sounds like a legit argument. All right. I think um, actually this is the argument that I made originally when you started bringing up the cap 10. And I'm, and I'm willing to give some uh, partial points here. But then the day was saved by someone named Sean uh, Corcoran, who tweets at DK745. But cap 10 still sounds like captain. And retupect sounds like retupect, spelled out R-E-T-W-O-P-E-C-T. Yes, yes, that is the key point. One is close to witty, the other is not. I stand by the cap 10. Jake, I, I have a question for you. Uh, we are sitting down here in SD Studios, and there is a magical box on my wall that puts images out. Um, and so, Jake, I ask you this tweet um, from Sarah Cumbie, at Sarah Cumbie, love at Mass and Orioles booth sighting at Baseball Pro during the broadcast progress so jake what have you thought about all the baseball prospectus talk on uh the mass and broadcast i can tell you that jim hunter really doesn't like it when calls go against the <laughs> orioles that's the kind of in-depth analysis that you're going to get from jake english this season on the radio um you want to take this next one jake absolutely this comes from our friends over at canon chat it's comforting to know that in uncertain universe, we can still count on the O's being unable to retire number nine hitters in clutch situations. Yes, my friends, as the our, our friends of the program over at, at Cannon Chat tell us, it's time for that warm embrace of Orioles baseball. Jake, we're going to do a segment coming up in the future um, called Smart Tweets. And Ooh. this goes into the uh, Smart Tweets category under Matt Kramenitzer. You can follow him at Matt Kramenitzer. Writer and editor for at Camden Depot, both possible to realize O's bullpen was not good today while noting that it's going to happen if four to five relief innings are routinely needed. Hmm, this sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's stop for a moment and just say that makes sense. Yeah. 
Lastly, here's a tweet from Baseball Essential. They tweet at BB underscore essential. After one week of play almost in the books, comma, the biggest surprise has been what? Hashtag let's talk baseball. Scotty, I ask you, after a week, what do you think is the biggest surprise of Orioles baseball? Mm, you know what? I think we can make a ton of judgment in this one week in our next segment. Let's go around the bases. We might as well call this Around the Bases segment What We've Seen So Far. Scotty, I want to rip a paragraph directly from Dave Cameron's Fangraph post today. Uh, And this was a post entitled, The League's Continuing March Toward Three-Outcome Baseball. I don't want to say anything about the League's Continued March Toward Three-Outcome Baseball. But I think he succinctly described how I'm feeling about the prospect of sitting down and podcasting about this five-game-old season. He writes as follows. Writing about baseball in April can be difficult. Things are happening, and the natural inclination is to want to talk about those things. But for most players, we're talking about 20 or 30 plate appearances. A bunch of starters have pitched one game. Beside changes in velocity, there's not much that we can say about what has happened so far. The Diamondbacks and Twins are the two best teams in baseball right now, so yeah, it's early. Alright, so we're going to talk about Orioles baseball, but keep in mind, We're not under the impression that these things won't change tomorrow, much less by next week or next month. That having all been said, let's dive into what we know, what we think, and what we fear as we go around the bases. First base? Let's do it. All right, so the bullpen is going to be good again. And yes, yes, I know everyone's saying, how can you make that statement after Sunday's game uh, with O'Day exploding and even Michael Givens not having a, a stellar game as well? But meh. Brock has looked good. Britton has overcame his initial hiccups and got him some of his control back. Um, Donnie Hart has looked a really good job as well in terms of, you know, coming in and getting his guys out as a left-handers. Even Tyler Wilson was useful, which is mind-boggling is the best way to describe it. Sure, Givens and O'Day have had some early season struggles, but comments such as the B team in the bullpen and, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this uh, this reliever is going to be anywhere near as good as he was in 2014. Um, I just don't know if he's going to be able to ever rebound back. Are we kidding ourselves here? Like, is this this is absolutely ridiculous that we're jumping to these conclusions over Darren O'Day and Michael Givens after how dominant they have been in the past? I also don't understand, and this this goes back to a conversation that Derek Arnold over at uh, Utah Street Report was having on Twitter the other day. And uh, you know, I was just struck by the fact that can't we just say that this was a good player having a bad day and that sometimes good players are not good in performance? What? Yeah. Sunday was pretty miserable. That bullpen implosion was uncomfortable. Yep. But you know what? I'm willing to chalk it up to him having a bad day because, oh, God, I'm going to do a buck thing here. Track record. Oh, that's actually a Steve Molesky thing, but just, just saying <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's nothing that would be of concern to you. And again, it comes back to going into Sunday's game. The bullpen didn't let up a single run. Yeah. Not a single run. And oh, by the way, had been used a little bit. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, Sunday was extremely frustrating, but you move past and you say this happens all the time with major league baseball clubs. 
it's nothing to get concerned about. This has happened in the past, folks. Um, if you go through some of Darren O'Day's games in the past, this has happened in September. This has happened in April. There's a tendency for arms to, you know, not deliver. Not everybody can be Zach Britton and be the dominant pitcher every single game. And, you know, just like with Zach Britton, he had two rough outings. What? That's impossible. He <laughs> is the A-team for the bullpen. There's no way that he would ever have a rough outing. I love your revisionist history. Oh, yes. I, I want that for this season. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I I wouldn't say I was worried, but I was like, all right, he had two rough outings. Let's watch this. Let's watch it to see if it develops. All right, so now Darren O'Day has had a bummer of an, of an outing. Let's watch him. Right. Rather than freak out. And, and you know, <laughs> here here's the other thing about this bullpen. Eventually, it's going to crack. And hopefully the starters do their jobs well enough that those cracks don't appear too often. Here's the thing, too, with O'Day's performance uh, in Sunday's game. I went back and watched it um, because I I love inflicting pain on myself. (laughs) But it was interesting to see him try to continually nibble against the corner. And when he wasn't getting that outside call, he certainly brought it up almost into, I wouldn't say the middle of the zone, but we'll call it the middle lower right Um and the batters were all over it. They knew that if that's where you're going to be targeting me, as soon as it comes up a little bit, I'm going to be able to hit this ball. Here's why it didn't work for him. Yeah. He only loads the bases and then gets out of the jam against the Blue Jays. Mm. Yeah, that's a possibility. Can we wander over to second base? Let's go ahead and steal second base. All right. I'm going to say this about second base. The outfield is still a work in progress. Mancini and Trumbo have both patrolled right field at this point. Um, over in left, we have indications continuing that Showalter does not trust Hyunsoo Kim in left field, even with a lead. So my question is, what do you think the outfield is going to shake out to look like for the rest of the, you know, 100 games? I thought it was interesting too, that on Sunday, um, Buck Showalter decided to go back and put Trumbo out in right field. Um, again, I wonder if it was just, you know, high sky, um, a little bit more difficult to read balls off the bat, but. Let's go back to Kim and just say Kim is going to be in there as long as possible, and then he's going to get substituted out very quickly. And I've got no issue with that. Like in the eighth or ninth inning, I've got no issue bringing in a defensive outfielder to play a better role for Kim, similar to when we used to bring David Lowe or even Nate McLeod in as a defensive outfielder. So I've got no issue with that. I'm more interested to see what happens with this platoon against left-handed pitching. I'm perfectly fine with maybe having Craig Gentry or Joey Rickard out there, but in right field with Trey Mancini and or Mark Trumbo, I just think danger awaits. I have to be honest. Yeah. If we are going to have a competent center fielder, which I think we do. Yes. And if we have an outfield, okay, if we have a left fielder who's competent, let's pretend it's not Hyunsu Kim out there. Yeah. I'm okay with having a weak fielder in right. I am. In Camden Yards, with that wall, you don't have to be able to play a good right field. You have to be able to go collect the ball after it bounces off the wall, which in its own right is a skill. But you're not going to have defensive stars in every position on the field. At some point, you make compromises for the bat. And so if, and this is a huge if, if Trey Mancini's bat is going to play in the majors the way the Orioles hope that it can, I'm fine with him being out there. If if Mark Trumbo has nowhere else to be other than right field because we've got some other situation going on on the DH, maybe we DH Kim because Showalter doesn't trust him and left so much. But whatever the reason, if we have to have some clunker out there in right field, I'm fine with it as long as the rest of the outfield defense is solid. What are your thoughts on that? 
My only concern about that is not so much of playing it off the wall. I think that's uh, that's pretty easy in all, all honesty. Like if you can't play it off the wall, then you've got bigger issues. My bigger concern is just gap plays, and just Jones has to cover a lot of gap then in left field and in right field. So I think you're going to have a lot more doubles and triples um, with the gap getting out there. So I think you're asking Jones to cover a lot of ground that it doesn't matter where he's positioned. It's just going to be very difficult for him to do. That's why it'd be nice to have a little bit of range. This comes back to the Marquecas thing of, I didn't want Marquecas here anymore because he just didn't have that range to get to the gaps anymore. So we haven't replaced it with a corner outfielder that has that range to date. I don't admittedly understand the impact of the offense you bring versus the lack of defensive war. Where's the, where's the trade-off? Where's the balance point? I don't know. That's a, that's a question mark. I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, preaching, but I think it's a point worth exploring. Maybe we'll get that to a deep cuts one, one week. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go to third base before things get ugly. Oh, wait, let's talk about things getting ugly. Third base. Yankees fans are still no fun to be around. And I don't want to beat a dead horse because I feel like I was fairly eloquent about this on Twitter, but Scott, Yankees fans are disproportionately I really thought that I'd gone back in time in this last game. Look, it was a little chilly. Took the kids, took the family. We were all sitting there in the shade, shivering our butts off until somebody said, hey, why don't we go sit in some of those seats in the sun? I said, that's a great idea. How are you so cold, by the way? It was it was chilly in the shade. Were you wearing like long pants and like a sweatshirt? Yes. And you were still cold? Yes. Jake English, listen, you need to put body mass on, okay? No, no, no. Not me. My, my six-year-old and my nine-year-old. Jake and you need to start feeding your children, okay? <laughs> that is not true. I do not have to feed. Anyway, so we go and you we... You can only get the Chef Boyardee pizza so thin, okay? <laughs> we went out and we sat and... Please, left... sir, I'd like some more. I am a lovable chimney sweep. They, they do say that about me. We went out and we... More? <laughs> All right, you can go ahead now. Really? Are you yeah. sure? We went out and we sat in left field upper reserve. And there I was. I was sitting in left field upper reserve... And Yankees fans were cheering in my stadium. And I thought, oh, my God, it's 2007. I have transported back in time to the cheap seats feeling like crap when the cockroaches are in my stadium. Ugh. It's terrible. But, Scott, I did have a thought. It was a dark thought. And dark thoughts were plenty to be had on Sunday. My question to you is this. We decry the Yankees fans' poor behavior. They get that way after their long drives in from Arbutus and Lansdowne. But are we, or would we be, any different from them? If we Orioles fans encountered a generation of winning, if we were accustomed to only the finest in October and occasional November, would we too be jerks in opposing stadiums? Yes. I think so too. I think so too. Yes, we would be jerks. I got to tell you though, it's a lot of fun watching Yankees fans when they're not great. I was listening to uh, MLB Network Radio the other day, and in the morning, uh, somebody called in and was griping about why the New York Yankees, the New York Yankees didn't start the season with a great rotation. Mm. Why they didn't go out and buy themselves some pitching, because these are the New York Yankees. And I thought to myself, no. No, you used to be the New York Yankees. That's, or, that's kind of fun. Or, or they're going to be the New York Yankees in 2019. Shh, shh, shh. 
I'm, Ho- I'm living in the present. Home plate. Orioles appear in ESPN's power rankings at number four. And yes, once again, we will remind you, please do not pay attention to this swill. This kind of stuff does not matter. Power rankings are worthless. After a week, they're even more meaningless. Um, ignore them. Uh, just bury them. We can complain to high heaven when the orders are snubbed or disrespected. But listen, you can't brag now. These things are dumb. Let's pretend they're not. Um, just ban this off of your computer and just say, nope, I'm not interested in anything that says power rankings. You can't complain when they say bad things about your team and then go and brag when they say nice things. That's crap. It, These no, are dumb. Or, or it's the Yankee way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Yankee way. <laughs> All right, Scotty, that is a quick trip around these bases in week one. Look, a good week, and much like Bond villains, the Orioles look at the AL East and they find themselves on a top. On and, top? And with that, I think we should uh, we should go back to high school, uh-huh. now that we're talking about going back in time. Dust off the yearbook, blow the dust off the pages, and uh, and see what we have in store for us. All right, so like Jake mentioned, we're going to uh, b- dust off the, the the yearbook, as it were. Even though I don't, you said 2017 yearbooks haven't been distributed yet, but anyway, these are preemptive yearbooks. They still do yearbooks, right? These are week books. It's a it's a it's a week one week book. When's the last time you actually looked at your high school yearbook? I just cleaned out my bookshelves, uh, and if yeah, I'll have to post some of this stuff too because I found some great treasures. ADC uh, maps. From before smartphones. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we want to give some week one superlatives to members of the Baltimore Orioles and uh, go from there. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and take the first one? Judging by this first week, I wanted to talk about most schizophrenic performance. Ooh. And the award for most schizophrenic performance goes to Wade Miley. Ooh, that was a good one. Wade Miley was a conundrum wrapped in a mystery wrapped in a riddle in his first start. First of all, it was no good. But he went five innings and did not allow the Yankees to score. And let's face it, he's kind of a crap starter. So we we would probably have t- taken it. If I had said to you before the game started, you're going to get five scoreless innings from Miley today, what do you think? You'd probably go, eh, yeah, all right, first time out, I'll take yeah. that. But here's the thing. He didn't just have five scoreless innings. Going into the fifth, I believe he still had a no-hitter intact. He did. Here's the problem. Yeah. Seven walks. Oof. Seven walks. Do you know Do you know the last Orioles starter to issue seven walks? Was it Jeremy Guthrie? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a national starter. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Daniel Cabrera. Oh, the Daniel big dog. Cabrera. Yeah, so... Uh, All what, 18 inches. <laughs> easy. <laughs> Wait, Miley, I'm not even sure what to say about that, other than it was a confusing start, and it made me cry. A little bit on the inside. Jay, we teased this earlier on the show, and uh, this next superlative is going to go to most likely to appear next with a phantom injury. And Jake, my person for this is going to have to be Ryan Flaherty. Uh, Ryan Flaherty should have gotten the game on Sunday because Buck said, I'm going to empty out the bench and get anybody who hasn't got a chance to play yet, get out there and have a chance. Anybody who hasn't had a fingering injury. And then Ryan Flaherty came and looked at the lineup and said, hey guys. I think they spelled my name wrong. 
But lo and behold, Ryan Flaherty once again was sitting on the bench. <laughs> was once again sitting on the bench. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, Ryan Flaherty again going against a left-handed in CC Sabathia. It made no sense to have him bat out there. Um, but it, it raises the question of when the heck is Ryan Flaherty going to get into a game if there's not an injury to Machado, Scope, or Hardy? Because it certainly looks like Buck Walters is less like, no kid, no, you're not getting out there. So at that point, what's the value for him being on the bench? I understand that if there was an injury during a game, you would be hard-pressed to basically shuffle the cards. But you could easily bring somebody up if there had to be an injury like that. So what what role is he serving? He's the super utility uh, fielder. I, I think, yeah, but what that doesn't make sense. Like if you're never going to use him, I didn't say it made sense. Oh, okay. I think that that Buck Showalter trusts Flaherty so implicitly to play the field when something bad happens, mm. and they kept him in the organization. He's he's getting paid a pretty penny, a million and a half. Does yeah, that sound something right? like that. He's getting for what he is. No one rhyme old money. <laughs> he's getting paid a pretty penny when they could have kept a Paul Yanish yeah. or somebody else that they weren't going to use. Sure. They've clearly made a commitment to him being part of the team because when he does what he does, he does it really well. You don't want him playing regularly. You don't want him in there for a long stretch of time. Yeah. But when J.J. Hardy's back is is acting up or when somebody can't play the outfield for a few innings sure. or when you've got to send a position player into pitch or an emergency catcher or somebody has to go get the water. Ryan Flaherty does that very well for a very short period of time. He's a 30-second performer, but man, does he hit all the spots. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait for Seductive Tommy H to change his name <laughs> to Seductive Ryan Flaherty. All right, Jake, why don't you go ahead and take the next superlative? Well, I, I feel like this is obvious territory, but we've got to go to it. Cutest couple. Oh, yeah. Cutest couple, of course, goes to all ball tap themselves, Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope. I just want someone to look at me the way they look at each other. You just want someone to ball tap you, basically, it sounds like. It's really all I want. I could not believe, by the way, that that moment, I mean, the fans picking up on it was one thing, but for the Masson Orioles Twitter feed to actually acknowledge it, uh, my hat is off to them because that is... uh, that's something else. Good job, Olivia, over the right. Um, next one I'm going to go from a superlative is most likely to get sent to the principal's office. Ooh. There's only one person that could get this one, and it's got to be Buck Walter. What? Isn't he the principal? No, he's not the principal. We've already established Brady Anderson is the principal, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but Buck Walter is going to get in trouble one of these days with that sassy attitude and that back talk. So Buck Walter has been super sassy so far to start the season. Um, he is going to get sent to the principal's office or get in trouble one way or the other at some point this season for saying a little too much at the wrong time. By the way, I should have written this down for, for this week on the Twitter. Somebody uh, tweeted us this week and, and mentioned hashtag sassy buck. So yes. thank you to whoever that was. And, and uh, bird's eye view listeners, keep it up. Let's make sassy buck a thing. I want to go to another stereotypical high school yearbook uh, superlative best dressed. Ooh, yeah. Best dressed, clear winners in my category. And I say winners because this is plural. Best dress is anybody wearing those 2017 high socks. That's a good one. That is some high quality hosiery they got going on there. Black socks with the orange stripes. I really like that look. Uh, The next one I've got, Jake, is um, biggest drama king. Um, So this is an obvious one. It's got to be. Orioles Facebook, of course, which absolutely lit up on Darren O'Day at the end of Sunday. Um, 
You keep that drama going, Orioles Facebook. It's what we turn to you and say, what should I not do as an Orioles fan and do the exact opposite of whatever you guys are doing? So well, keep it up, Orioles Facebook. What kind of human being do I not want to be? That's not just Orioles Facebook. Yeah. That might be Facebook. All right. Next, I want to uh, I want to go to Class Clown. Oh, yes. All right. Class Clown is, is clearly one that everybody goes to. I'm, I'm going to go a little outside the box. Caleb Joseph. Oh, has to be Caleb Joseph. And I think that if you ask any of the players, they'd go there. Now everybody thinks, oh, okay, you know, maybe maybe it's Jones, you know, maybe it's Ball Tap and Machado. I think it's Caleb Joseph. You listen to him talk for any length of time, he's a good dude to be around. I'm going to have to veto this selection. Ooh, I like this. I, I think if we're going with a class clown for the Orioles right now, it's got to be Jim Hunter. <laughs> just, just saying. Why do you bait me, sir? <laughs> I'm just saying, based off of what I've heard on the radio this past week, um, I think Joe Angel may kill Jim Hunter by the end of the year. <laughs> just a possibility. Uh, let me let me hit this for you. Sure. Because this is a little different. Uh, another one that you often see in the back of the yearbook, Biggest Flirt. Oh, there right? you go. Yeah. And so I got to think that that was almost my Machado scope yeah. moment. Gotcha. So this is the one that's going to get pregnant by the end of the season. (laughs) My biggest flirt nominee is actually Ubaldo Jimenez. Oh, yeah. Because whenever he pitches, he is flirting with disaster. Yeah. Just sometimes he has that, you know, flair and you're just like, ooh, like what could happen? But then, yeah, after you sober up a little bit, you look at it and say, ooh, no, no bueno, no bueno. All right. I've, I've had a lot of these where I've got the answer. Okay. But Scotty, I want to ask you some just right off the cuff, and I want you to just fire in whatever you know pops in your mind. Sure. Uh, let me ask you this: most changed in their Orioles tenure, uh, Adam Jones. Okay. I I like that. Yeah. You know, he's become a leader. Yep. He's become, but he was always brash. He was always outspoken. Absolutely. He was always expected to be something. Right. What about somebody like O'Day or Brock, who comes into the organization mm. as an unheralded reliever? Sure. All-star, highly paid guy. That's fine. I'm going with personality. I think his, you've seen a lot of growth from Adam Jones. I, I think I think your answer is just fine. Uh, let me ask you this. Yeah. Most likely to be sorted into Slytherin. This is an easy one. Vidal Nuno is a clear <laughs> Slytherin. <laughs> also, I think that Peter Angelos is Voldemort. He, so. he may be, but Vidal Nuno just screams... Slytherin, like the hat doesn't even need to get closer. He just hears the name and says, Slytherin! <laughs> we'll have to ask Mike Wright about that at some point. <laughs> All right, uh, let me ask you this. Talks the most, says the least. Uh, Wayne Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> I expected you to say Jonathan Scope because all of the players rag on him for that. Yes. But Wayne Kirby is an excellent, excellent answer. Um, and possibly the most mean-spirited of, of the questions I have for you is this. Least memorable on this team. So in my opinion, and this may change as the season progresses, but if I gave you a pen and pencil or a pen and pencil and then a piece of paper, could you actually draw me a picture of what Donnie Hart looks like? Because there is no face in my head for what Donnie Hart looks like. Donnie Hart is literally just a left hand. I would just draw a left hand on a piece of paper and be like, that's Donnie Hart. This is really terrible. Do you want to know what the image I get (laughs) when, when people say Donnie Hart? Uh, there's an animated GIF that I use on the Twitters when Donnie Hart comes in of Donatello, the uh, the turtle with with heart eyes. The, the turtle, yeah, yeah, the turtle. And that's all I think of when I hear the name but Donnie Hart. Honestly, Donnie Hart could be walking down the street, 
And as big of an Orioles fan as I am, I could not pay out Donnie Hart. There's no question in my mind. So least memorable for me right now is Donnie Hart. Now, do I think he might grow on me? Absolutely. But for the time being, I have no clue who Donnie Hart is, and he really should be more memorable than he is. If he hadn't already used it, I would have said Vidal Sassoon because I have no idea what that guy's all about. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you this question. Okay. Ghost of Camden. Oh, Ghost of Camden. The player whose who's impact still lingers, though this person is no longer on the team. Oh, it, it's got to be Nick Narcakis. I just brought him up in this podcast in terms of whenever we compare outfielders of the current past three years, we always go back to, well, Nick Markakis. Yeah. And I think before Markakis took the the throne, it would probably would have been uh, the Brian Roberts watch. Yep. I question, do you think Weeders will enter that territory when when the catching duo struggles? Nope. Okay. I don't think so. So the ghost of Camden is clearly Nick Markakis. Nick Markakis, clearly. Let me take this dark territory. You ready? Oh, yeah. I just, just reading the words ghost of Camden. Do you think anybody's ever died at Camden Yards? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Huh. There's no question about it. I want to look that up. I, I don't just mean my own hopes and dreams as baseball games have happened. No, I guarantee someone's died. All right. Did we miss any high school uh, superlatives? Uh, I can't think of a single one. Um, Burland out there, if you're listening to this uh, and you can think of any superlatives for one of your favorite Orioles players, shoot us up at Bird's Eye View BAL. Use O's superlatives. And hey, they could be your least favorite players. We're fine with that. All right. Well, Jake, it's your favorite time. Let's go ahead and go into some deep cuts. I do like this concept. I feel like you're going to make me look like a fool most weeks, but this is a decent concept. This, All right. This is a point for you, Scott. So, so we talked about this last week a little bit, and we said, you know, last week may have been a little on difficult side because it was in the 80s. Well, assuming that the two people in their basements know what we're talking about, can you explain again this segment and what it is that we're doing here? So, sure. What we're going to do here is Deep Cuts is basically uh, not just swinging for the fences like the Baltimore Orioles do, but uh, as Jake continues to pour wine into his glass from a box, uh, this is an aspect of uh, we are going to play a track that um, maybe wasn't a B-Sabin album or a, a song that was not very familiar um, with a band and we're going to play it and see if Jake recognizes, because Jake, as he points out to a lot of people, is a music aficionado, and he generally has the ability to recognize music instantly is the best way to describe it. Make me sound like a really arrogant schmuck. So continuing on, <laughs> um, last week I picked The Smiths. Um, this time I decided to go a little bit more into the late 60s. Um, so this song actually came out in 69, um, so I'm going to give you nice. a, I'm going to give you a clue this time and just kind of help you out a little bit, Ooh. okay? So uh, this song was featured on "How I Met Your Mother" and describes the grim realities of life in Britain during the 19th century. And tying it back to Orioles baseball for this week, it had great success in the Toronto area in March of 1970. Are you ready to take some deep cuts, Jake? Sounds like we're going to be talking stats, but go ahead. I think you're going to get this one. Is this the dead? 
This is not the dead. Nothing? Jake, this is the Kinks? Victoria. This is the Kinks. This is the Kinks. All right, lay your stats upon me, sir. All right, Jake. Well, we talked about it earlier uh, in the show. Dylan Bundy uh, was mightily impressive. But I wanted to kind of go through and take a look at some of the things that truly impressed me. So I want to talk about his slider usage, and I want to talk about the vertical movement of uh, his slider. We talked about horizontal movement last time. We did, and we were questioning it. And that's actually another topic that we can talk about in another show because that Kevin Gossman horizontal movement ain't getting any better. But it looks like that's still being kind of massaged a little bit. But Dylan Bundy's uh, vertical movement has been confirmed. Um, and looking at some of Dylan Bundy's vertical movements on his slider and his curveball, let me give you a few names of some pitchers that um, are comparable in terms of vertical movement. You've got uh, Kente Maeda. You've got Justin Verlander. You've got Madison Bumgarner. You've got Matt Harvey. And you've got Noah Syndergaard in a similar class in terms of vertical movement with their slider. So uh, that's a decent amount of company to put to. Um, and also from a curveball standpoint, Dylan Bundy is up there too from his curveball in a movement standpoint. Right now in terms of um, movement, he's right there with players such as Marcus Stroman, uh, Kenta Mayada again actually, and Carlos Martinez, um, Julio Tehran, and Jacob deGrom as well from a from a curveball vertical movement standpoint. So some excellent names. We came back to the point last week where is you know, movement on a slider and a curveball, and when we talk about Gossman, horizontal movement in general um, is certainly a benefit as long as you command it. It certainly looked like Dylan Bundy was able to command it, and that sudden drop-off off the plate of the slider and the curveball was certainly impressive. So, folks, I highly recommend that if you're looking from a statistical analysis and you're trying to determine how good really was that pitch, it's a great opportunity to go and take a look at how um, vertical movement relates to other top pitchers out there um, and Dylan Bundy's was certainly pretty impressive after one start. So one thing with the slider that I'm curious about is, you know, having the having the movement in and of itself is okay. I'm curious about the velocity plus the movement, mm. right? Because to have the movement is one thing, but if it's a big sweeping slider, I feel like that's easier to hang and easier to pick up. Sure. But t- talk to me: is there any is there any intersection between you got all this movement? Plus the velocity. Absolutely. Because again, it comes back to the more velocity you have and the uh, more movement you have on it as well, uh, the more there's a higher whiff rate onto it. So for example, we talked about Noah Syndergaard having a ton of movement on his slider. He's also throwing a 92 mile per hour slider, mm-hmm. which again, is just, it's filthy. Similar to Clayton Kershaw, 89.7 mile per hour slider. Now, Dylan Bundy was not hitting those. He was hitting right around 84 to 85 miles per hour in terms of the slider. Again, not great, but again, he's getting by with the movement because you look at what his fastball is versus his slider, you've got a huge discrepancy in terms of velocity. I think the thing is, is he's got a step program. Right? He's got the fastball. Yep. He's got a cutter. Yep. And he's got a slider. Right. And if you can't tell the difference between the three as it's coming out of the hand, Correct. you're in trouble. And it comes back to, we talked about earlier in this season, Dylan Bundy was having a hard time getting through the order a third time around. I think his OPS against the third time through the order is 800 plus, basically. Um, so he was getting knocked around and shellacked pretty good. So if Dylan Bundy can actually get through the order three times in a row with these additional pitches, uh, Dylan Bundy could be a force and, um, 
any conversation that we had about Kevin Gossman or Chris Tillman being a potential ace in this team could quickly get sidetracked into Dylan Bundy, as long as he's healthy, um, could be a breakout phenom star based off of these uh, pitch metrics. As long as he holds together. So, Jake, uh, 0 for 2 in deep cuts. I had a theory about this segment. Uh-huh. I feel like if I'm striking out by midseason, yeah. after we come back from the All-Star break, yeah. tables are going to turn. Oh, I'm going to start with deep cuts for you. I like that. And if you lose, we talk about our emotions and who was the grittiest player. I, I like that. And uh, can we talk career ERA while we're at it, too? No, but we are going to talk about who has the most wins against a particular piece of laundry. Uh, personally, I'd rather talk about who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to get us started today, and I want to talk about the good. This was a surprise for me, a pleasant surprise. Seth Smith, a guy I knew next to nothing about, had a really good week. He had a good week at the plate. 5 for 13 with a 231 weighted runs created plus, a 490 Woba, and he hit that home run, which turned out to be a deciding factor in the game. And look, the good, the bad, and the ugly for us is all about the short, the small sample size, right? Absolutely. We, we look at a week at a time, so this is not something we can get around. For one week, Seth Smith was good. Jake, there was really one good answer here, and that was Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy was yeah. absolutely filthy. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays had nothing they could throw up there and, and, and get anything going for him. The runs that Dylan Bundy gave up were all just, you know, you know, weak hits, basically. Dylan Bundy was... Um, as impressive as I've seen from an Orioles pitcher in, in a long time. So Dylan Bundy gets the absolutely filthy, filthy, filthy good award for me this week. All right, let's go ahead to bad. Uh, look, I'm not beating on him, but it was bad. J.J. Hardy, uh, he was among the the club leaders in at-bats with 18. He played in every game. He just had two hits and one walk to show for himself. So look, uh, you know, not going to get it done. I would like J.J. Hardy to have something of a renaissance here late in his career. So for me, this week, he was bad. Bad's got to be Darren O'Day. Um, we talked about it earlier in the show. You can't beat him up too much for the rest of the season. But let's be honest, this first week um, gave you no confidence kind of in saying, oh, you know, he's going to turn it around. Um, not to mention the walk situation on on Sunday was absolutely – you, you don't normally see that from Darren O'Day. So – I, I know Darren O'Day can rebound, and I know he probably will rebound, but for the time being, he's in the bad category. Clean your ish up. I'm going to one-up you there. Okay. My ugly this week is Darren O'Day. Oh, hello. But for many of the same reasons, and then some. Yeah. Yes, the meltdown was unfortunate. As this season goes, it was of epic proportions, because it it's all we've had. But I'm going to go one deeper and say it's disappointing. Yeah. After an injury-riddled season last year to have him come back, to have him not be healthy to go through spring training, to have a cloud surrounding him, and then to come in in our first taste of Darren O'Day to be such a crap sandwich. Darren O'Day, a guy we paid all sorts of money to, and honestly, Darren, we just want to love you. Yeah. This, t- this town, I think, loves Darren O'Day. And again, I root for the guys that are older than me. 
so may he pitch forever. But this week, for all those reasons, Darren O'Day is my ugly. Jake, there's really one ugly for this week, and it has to be names on the back of a jersey. (laughs) When you walk into a stadium and you see a bunch of pinstripes and there's names on the back of the jersey, it just makes you want to shake your head and say, what are you doing? I can honor and respect the kind of tradition of the Yankees. And you look at it and you see even like a number 42 and you're just like, okay, Mariano Rivera, like that's, that's cool. I don't need to see the name above the number. It's almost like uh, these individuals buy these jerseys and put the name on the back of it so that when they wake up in the morning, they're just like, Ooh, I think I'll wear my Babe Ruth jersey today because uh, that's who I really want to root for today. Scott, I don't think you're giving these guys enough credit. I think you're being really unfair. Okay. This might just be the only thing available in those shops in Reisterstown. Oh, that's a good point. See, I disagree. I don't think it's a situation. I I decided to look very closely at these jerseys, and there's plenty of them to look at Sunday. I'm thinking that uh, Yankees fans are the least American people in all the United States. And the reason I say that is, if you notice the lettering on it, um, some very strange W's and M's present. Um, <laughs> so I believe we had a lot of Chinese counterfeits, because that is the only way you would be seeing these jerseys here. So these, let's just point out the fact, Yankees fans do not want to support America. They'd rather support China. This is where this country has turned to, where Yankees fans would rather support a foreign country than the great old U.S. of A. I think what you're asking is, Yankees fans, why do you hate America? Yeah, Yankees fans, why do you hate America? Well, Scotty, I think we've gone to a good place here for the podcast. So I'm going to ask you to hop back up on that soapbox and blow the save. All right, so Jake, I normally don't learn new things about baseball. but I think, Join the club, pal. But, but I think I learned something new about baseball t- this week. So I had never heard of this term before. And it's been around for a few years, apparently, but I had never seen it before. Jake, have you ever heard of a a shrimp? I mean, I've heard of shrimp. But a shrimp in terms of baseball. So a shrimp, apparently, is a term for when uh, a baseball game ends on a walk. So apparently there was this blog back in the day in 2014 that used to always put out a video whenever a team lost or won on a walk-off walk. Uh, and it would be this shrimp on a treadmill, and uh, it would be playing to the following music. Yes, Jake, be playing to the Benny Hill theme song music, and it's just a shrimp walking on a treadmill. Jake, I thought our show was the low point in Major League Baseball, but this may be the low point in Major League Baseball. So, Jake, if this can gain traction on MLB Twitter... Bird's eye view may still have a chance. I don't even know what to make of this. And that's my blog to save for the week. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I think on that note, we should get the heck out of here. Definitely. It has been a strange and wacky first week of baseball. So that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and review. It helps establish what's called social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. 
uh, engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L, unless we buy someone else's account out. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Hey, Baltimoreans, I still need a nickname audit. Boy, boy for sale. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.